Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. This is a psalm of David, uh, who also wrote of ways that he can remind himself of God caring for him in every situation. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. We ask this morning that you would help us to think about our own situations in light of your word, not the other way around. God, that we would uh, come to know you better, that we come to love and trust you more. As we read, as we hear from your word, which you have given to us, revealing yourself, your character, and your heart for your people, revealing also our need for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 138 of David, he says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work the works of your hands. Turning then to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 33. We have uh, some passages that often get read separately, but I think it's very helpful to keep these together. This is Matthew 14, verses 13 through 33, which can be found on page 1524 in your pew Bibles. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a huge crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 
Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, if you came wondering what God's will is for your life, we'll cover that. So hang on, and we will get there. But before we get there, uh, I want to see if maybe you can relate to Paul. We're going to read <laughs> a further part of his story from where we've been over the past several weeks. And uh, have you ever been to a movie that was really exciting? And maybe you went and you got the popcorn ahead of time, and then you're sitting there and you're watching the movie and you're just really into it, and the movie ends and you look down and you never ate the popcorn because you forgot to eat. You were so in the movie. Have you ever had that experience? No. Anybody ever? <laughs> Anybody ever forget to eat where you just miss a meal because you're so into a particular project or you're so concerned about something and you're, and you're so wrapped up in whatever it is that you look at the clock and you're like, wait, did I ever have lunch today? I don't think I had lunch. You ever have, ever have that happen? You're like, rarely if ever, right? That doesn't happen. <laughs> That doesn't happen very often, but it can happen, and you understand, at least, uh, that that could be a possibility. Well, the situation we're in today uh, then may be more intense than things that you have experienced, because Paul is on a boat with uh, sailors and soldiers, etc., and they are uh, on this boat where they have been in a major storm, and they have now gone for two weeks, 14 days of not eating because they've been in constant suspense, wondering if they are about to die. I mean, it has been moment by moment for two solid weeks. Um, so that's where we're going to go, and we will get back to God's will for our lives here in just a second. But this is Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 27. And uh, just so we understand why they're in a boat and why they're in a storm. This is, uh, Paul is being taken to Rome as a prisoner, but they don't have boats for transporting prisoners, so they had to hitch a ride on a grain ship going from Egypt to Italy. And so they are on this boat. That's why he's there with uh, other prisoners, with soldiers who have them under guard. Uh, But they're also there with these sailors and those who are transporting the grain, hoping to sell it in uh, in Rome. And we read a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, actually, if you remember this, now you know how long two weeks is. <laughs> two weeks ago, we looked at, they were on the island of Crete, and the wind had been against them. They were getting s- slowed down, and so it was later in the year than they wanted to be going. And Paul's looking at the situation, and he says to all of them, 
Yeah, we have to winter here. Our voyage is over. It's not what everybody wants, but that is what needs to happen because of the weather conditions. If we go farther, it's going to be disaster. And they look at all of it as the same as he does, and they say, I, I bet we can make it farther. We don't want to stay here. And so rather than dealing with the facts of the situation, they were dealing with wishful thinking and hoping that maybe they can make it. And so they follow their own wishful thinking instead of following Paul's advice there. And of course, then things immediately get bad. So they start to sail along the southern edge of Crete when they get a nice breeze blowing. But then immediately we get this northeaster that comes in and just blows them out to sea. And so for two weeks, they've been blown out in this major storm that has uh, blocked out the sun by day. It's blocked out the stars by night. They have been in open ocean, not having any idea where land is, where they are, when this will end, if it will end, or if they're all going down. And uh, I actually peeked ahead. I know where they end up landing. (laughs) It's not cheating. You can do that. And the island they end up landing on is over 600 miles from where they started out. <laughs> so they have been blowing around an open ocean for two weeks for 600 miles. And that they hit an island at all is pretty amazing. You might even say <laughs> maybe some divine interaction there <laughs> that they would hit an island instead of uh, just continuing in open ocean. But here they are in the middle of uh, the Mediterranean Sea and all we have to go on at this point is that an angel of the Lord has appeared to Paul and then I and said, you are going to go to Rome. And not only are you going to go to Rome, which you already knew from before, but he said, I also have given you the lives of everyone on the ship. They're all going to make it. So Paul tells everybody, hey, good news, guys. Uh, I mean, first he says, I told you so. We shouldn't have gone this way. But then secondly, he says, but we're all going to make it. So, uh, keep up your courage. And this is what we looked at last week. It says, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And so we looked at faith being believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do and then acting accordingly. And that is what he is doing and that's what he's calling them to do. So now we pick up in the middle of the storm, uh, verse 27, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they are they were approaching land. They took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. This is not good if you're following the math here. It was 120 feet deep, now it's 90 feet deep, and that's after a short time that it's dropped 30 feet. So we're uh, getting close to running into something. And so, verse 29, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, They dropped four anchors from the stern. That's the back of the boat for those of us from Texas. Uh, (laughs) I know some of you know all this stuff, but all the nautical terms are new to me, so I'm just going to help anybody in my boat. (laughs) It was not on purpose. Okay. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. It's the front of the boat. Okay, these, <laughs> these guys are um, letting the boat down. They had to bring the lifeboat on board because we read earlier that it wasn't going to make it if it stayed out of the boat. So they bring it in the boat uh, to keep the lifeboat safe, and now 
they are letting it down, thinking this is our only hope. However, Paul said, verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. All right, do me a favor and don't read ahead. Because now the centurion and the soldier, they have a decision to make. They have been in a position before where Paul gave them advice and said, hey, we should stay here in the harbor (laughs) for the winter. And they said, nah. They did not listen. And then later we have this beautiful I told you so moment. However, now he's coming back again and saying, you've heard from God. You've heard that an angel of the Lord has spoken to me and said, you're all going to be saved. But if you take this route, you are not going to be saved. I cannot guarantee your safety if these men go on this lifeboat. So what do you do? As the centurion, what do you do? Do you listen to Paul this time? Or do you go, I don't know, maybe. Let's, let's roll the dice. No. Instead, verse 32, so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. And I think you just have to pause and understand the gravity of the situation here. If the main ship goes down, the lifeboat is your only hope, right? I mean, that was one of the problems with the Titanic as it went down, is there weren't enough lifeboats, and those that went out didn't have enough people on each boat. But if the main boat goes down, you want the lifeboat there. And yet what, uh, what they are doing here is they are cutting the ropes and letting the lifeboat go away There is no plan B now. They either survive this shipwreck or they die. There is no plan B. And that is where uh, what Paul's saying to them is putting them in this situation where they have to decide, are we all in on trusting this God that Paul has heard from? They didn't even hear the message from God. They didn't have an angel appear to them in the night. They are trusting this guy who has had this vision from this angel speaking to him saying these people are going to be saved. And they are putting their lives on the line, and they are cutting away any plan B. Do you know what this is called? This is called living by faith. This is what we were looking at last week of Paul saying, I believe that it's going to happen just as God has said. And we see Paul living by faith, but that shouldn't surprise us. That's what we've been seeing him do for many, many chapters now. But now we see Roman soldiers living by faith, trusting that what Paul said about God is true, and that God is going to be faithful to keep the promise that he's made to Paul. And they are living this out in action, uh, cutting the ropes to this boat. There is no longer a plan B. God saves us or we die. That's it. There are parallels there for our own lives, but we're moving on. Verse 33 Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now we're getting to the heart of this whole passage, and we're going to read through it and come back to it. So you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Is that important? If you're one of the 276, it's important. (laughs) 
the promise has been that they're all going to make it to shore. And so if there are 276 people on board and you count up on shore and there are 275, God didn't keep his promise. It's important that they've got everybody counted. God does. Verse 38. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Here again, this is their cargo. (laughs) Here goes any possible means of economic advancement once they get to Rome. All they care about is survival at this point. Verse 39, when when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw, (laughs) didn't recognize the land. They are so far off course, you have no idea. They didn't recognize land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck, stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So now they are stuck They're not going anywhere, and their ship is falling apart around them. So again, we have a decision to make. And in verse 42, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. (laughs) Guys, come on. (laughs) The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. Why would they do this? So they don't run away because if the, the way that the Roman system was, if you were in, responsible for guarding a prisoner and a prisoner escaped, what was going to happen to them is what would now happen to you. You ended up taking their place. And as these prisoners are going to Rome, likely to be executed, <laughs> they say, well, well, then we'll just take care of that now. <laughs> that way they don't escape, and um, we can ensure that. So it says the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. <sighs> kind of a sigh of relief after a two-week storm. You know people are kissing the ground now <laughs> to be back on land. They don't know what land it is, but they're on land again. I said we're going to go back, though, to the heart of this story, and that is, um, that is verse 35. Verse 35 is what happens in the midst of the storm, before they've made it safely to land. When they don't know yet what's going to happen, other than what they have received from God, his promise that they're going to make it. That's it. That's all they've got. The evidence around them kind of looks otherwise. (laughs) For two weeks, they've been beat up and battered by the storm. They haven't eaten anything because they've been in constant suspense, wondering if they're going to live or die. They have no idea where they are. Even if they make it uh, through the storm, they have no idea how to make it to land. And now as they are are approaching land, it looks like they're all going to be uh, destroyed by the rocks. And it's in the middle of this, when things are looking terrible. It says in verse 35, after Paul said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. 
I hope this sounds familiar. He takes bread and he gives thanks. Do you think that he was saying, thank you, God, for this amazing storm? I don't think so. I don't think so. But this is where we get to what I said earlier about knowing God's will for your life. This is what we looked at this past Wednesday, actually, in um, Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. Is that right? 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That we rejoice always, that we would pray continually, that we would give thanks in all circumstances. And as I said earlier, if you have never forgotten to eat for two weeks because of how intense your situation is, then they have been experiencing something. I mean, they've been experiencing something quite intense. And yet, even here, Paul is able to give thanks. To give thanks to God for providing what they need in the midst of the storm. For providing what they need even in the midst of the storm, you need this food to survive. And look, we have food to eat. God has given us what we need for today. He's promised things for the future, but even for today, he's provided what we need. This is one of the things that we see over and over again with Jesus. I said it should sound familiar to you, <laughs> the giving thanks after breaking bread. Uh, we see this We saw this actually a little bit ago, what we read in Matthew 14, when it said that uh, Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. This is a situation that looks hopeless. Again, you got this many people out there. The disciples are saying, we got to send them home. There is no, no way we can deal with this. And Jesus says, bring me the bread. And he gives thanks to God. And you know the disciples are going, this is crazy. Why would you give thanks in a situation like this? But he thanks God for the bread, thanks him for the fish, for providing what they need in the situation. Another time is the Last Supper. And it says in Luke chapter 22, Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And then in verse 19, and he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We often don't know what's coming tomorrow. This is one of the reasons why it's very good to pray for God to prepare us today for what's coming tomorrow. <laughs> he knows that we don't. But in this case, Jesus knew what was coming the next day. He knew what was coming the next day. And if you read on in the story, he leaves from this meal and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And he prays until he has drops of blood coming through his skin. Because he knows what's coming the next day. 
He knows that for him, this is going to lead to death. And yet as he takes the bread with his disciples that night, he gives thanks. Can you even imagine giving thanks in such circumstances? But that's exactly what he does. We see similar things in uh, the lives of the apostles going forward. As they thank God for what they have been given in the present moment, for God's provision for them in the midst of their storms. We see Paul in, uh, in jail in Philippi singing praises and hymns to God after he's been beaten with rods and is chained up in prison. The pattern that Jesus set forward of thanking God in all circumstances is then what Paul comes back to and says later, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is a lesson that was not well learned by the uh, Israelites in the wilderness, though they had every opportunity. You recall when they came out of uh, Egypt and then they're hungry in the wilderness and they say, we don't have anything to eat. And God says, I will provide for you. I know this is not a great place (laughs) to hang out. I'm going to give you what you need in the midst of this wilderness. And so he gives them bread to eat. And you know, if you read in um, Exodus 16, is that right? Yeah. Read in Exodus 16, the ways that God continues to provide for them. And not once do you read them say thank you. Not once. But instead what you get is he says, here's this food to eat. Now make sure that you don't try to gather too much. Just get what you need for today. And some do and some don't. (laughs) They get too much and it spoils. And then he says, but on the uh, the day before the Sabbath, make sure that you gather twice as much because that day I'm not going to send any and it's going to not spoil and you're going to need that. That's a Sabbath day. So some go out and gather twice as much and some don't. <laughs> and the whole way through, we have the people continuing to be disobedient and continuing to grumble and continuing to complain instead of thanking God for providing what they need where they are, which is exactly what he was doing. And so it is good to see um, that this pattern, and we see it from, from David in the psalm this morning, we see it, this pattern of Jesus' life in the way that he teaches us even to pray this day for our daily bread. And then as he demonstrates over and over thanking God in the midst of everything. Uh, and then we see this pattern again through the disciples, even through Paul on the boat in the midst of the storm. I do want to give us one caution, though. It's easy to hear this kind of message and say, okay, we're supposed to say thank you all the time. And so we start praying and we use the word thank yous and we think, okay, that means I'm doing this. But there's actually a, a parable Jesus tells in Luke 18. 
says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. The two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our hearts are so twisted that we can take this word where it says, give thanks, and we can do exactly what that Pharisee did and say, I'm giving thanks in all circumstances. And yet, instead of actually humbly thanking God for what he's provided, we can use it as a way to prop up our own pride. And Jesus says, no, that's not what we're talking about. And so what we are talking about is exactly what Paul was doing in the storm, on the boat, with these sailors, giving thanks for God providing for them in a way they couldn't provide for themselves, for God being their hope for the future and providing for their needs in the present. This is what we are to do. This is what we see Jesus doing the night before he goes to the cross, thanking God for what he's provided, even as he looks forward um, not only to the cross, but for the joy on the other side of the cross. You want to know God's will for your life? Be joyful. Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.